Our second reading comes from Acts number 9, verses 32 to 43. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Ananias, who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Ananias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Ananias got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Tabitha, let's go that way. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothes that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. All right, I believe now we're going to hear from Rick and his sermon. So take out your pens and papers and we'll... Um, don't sit back and relax. We can but uh, please, over to the electronics. Sorry, I can't be with you today. There we go. Um, we've had a positive COVID test in our household this morning, so I've had to come home and, um, and isolate. Uh, but hopefully you'll be able to get this video so we can spend some time reflecting on this passage from Acts chapter 9 together. Uh, let's pray, though, as we come to look at it. Heavenly Father, we do pray that... Um, uh, even though uh, we can't be in the physically the same place uh, today, that you will uh, give us um, your spirit to hear what you have to say to us and that as we reflect on this part of your word together, you'll help us to respond in um, confident uh, longing uh, for the day when Jesus will bring his kingdom on earth. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Jesus has the power to heal the sick and to raise the dead. What a great uh, image that is and a great uh, thing to know. But I wonder what your reaction is, your immediate response is when you hear that. Maybe for some of us there is a degree of scepticism, and maybe not even intentional, just kind of instinctive because we're, I guess, used to or resigned to the fact perhaps that people get sick and stay sick and that people die. And so we have very little expectation maybe that someone could be healed miraculously. The power of Jesus to heal the sick and raise the dead seems unreal, almost a fantasy. Though I also suspect that for many of us, it also stimulates a deep longing. This, just this week, I was reading this very passage with someone and their immediate response as we read it was, I wish that could happen for my mum who's been bedridden for years. I wish she could have this kind of healing that gets her up out of her sickbed. 
And I suspect that <clears throat> that many of us will have a similar kind of longing for ourselves or for someone that we know that they could be healed, that we could be healed. Or even when someone has died. Uh, my own family has had a death in the family recently and sometimes it just seems so unreal uh, and so hard to come to terms with and we just wish that we could somehow undo it. So even if we are sceptical, these verses, I think, give us a wonderful picture of what we long for, don't they? What we love to see happen. The power of Jesus to heal the sick and to raise the dead. So what should we learn from these verses? And how should we think about this remarkable and beautiful event that we see here? And what does it mean for us? Well, I think the first thing that we really can't miss in this short episode, or these two episodes, is that this is a beautiful picture of Jesus caring for his church. It's perfectly clear in these two episodes that these healings are done by the power of Jesus, working through the apostles. You know, we're explicitly told in uh, verse 34 about the healing of Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. That's what Peter says. And that's also implied when he raises Tabitha from the dead. Because the result is that people put their trust in Jesus. But even more than that, these miracles remind us of the miracles that Jesus himself did. So when Peter finds Aeneas paralyzed on his sickbed for eight years, we remember that that's exactly the kind of situation that Jesus often came across. Now, like in, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals that man who's been paralyzed. And the words that Jesus says to the man are the same words that Jesus says, that, that, that Peter says to the man. Get up, pick up your mat. Or again, in the second episode with Tabitha, Peter is almost reenacting the same scene that Jesus did in Luke 8. The difference is that Jesus did it by his own power and authority, whereas Peter is doing it in the name of Jesus. Peter is the one who's physically there, but there is no mistaking that this is the work of Jesus. That's what we're meant to see here. This is the power of Jesus working through his apostle, Peter, to care for his church. And as I said, it's such a beautiful picture of what we long to see happening among us, isn't it? But I might just pause there for a moment, because before we think about this some more, I thought it might be helpful for us to go back and look at how we got to this point. You know, we're coming to the book of Acts now after a bit of a break. We haven't uh, looked at this since last year. And so I thought it would be helpful to remind us of the story so far so that we can see where we're up to. You know, like at the beginning of TV shows, sometimes we have a, a recap at the start. You know, previously on this show, this is what happened. Well, previously in Acts, what has happened? Acts, you may know, is the sequel to Luke's Gospel. It's part two of what we began to hear in Luke's Gospel. So Luke's Gospel is, is the story of Jesus' life, what he began to do and teach in his time on earth, from his birth through his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven. And Acts picks up the story where that left off. It tells us what Jesus continued to do, not physically present anymore, but through his apostles and by the power of his Spirit. And at the beginning of the book of Acts... Jesus tells his disciples that he's leaving them with a mission to complete the work that he came to do. 
And there's one key verse for understanding what that mission is. It's right back in Acts chapter 1, verse 18. And if you've got your Bibles there, you should be able to have a look at this. This is what Jesus said to them just before he ascended back to heaven. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that mission... The apostles being Jesus' witness is what the book of Acts is about. The Holy Spirit does come on them with power just a few weeks later and he empowers them to bear witness to what they've seen about Jesus, to testify to what they've seen of him, that he was the crucified and risen Messiah, that he rose to life as the rightful ruler of the world and of the new age of the kingdom of God. And in the book of Acts, we see that message spread. First in Jerusalem, the city, and then more broadly in Judea, the area, and the region of Samaria. And that's as far as we've gotten in the story of Acts so far. But what we notice is that the main purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives them, that he promised that he would give them, was that they could proclaim the message of Jesus, that they could be his witnesses. But also as part of that, he empowers them with what we would call these miraculous signs and wonders, including healing. That's the story so far. So the next point I want to make is that these miracles are a demonstration of the power of God's kingdom that has come with Jesus. You know, miraculous events in the Bible often happen at significant moments in the Bible or with significant people to help authenticate their message that this is from God. When we read the Bible, we often, I think, don't realise that even in the Bible, miracles are quite rare. You know, we think that that in Bible times, miracles happen every other Tuesday and that people were just used to seeing them. But of course, that kind of defeats the purpose of the miracle, right? If it was common, it would hardly be remarkable. And the fact is that miracles, even in the Bible, only happen occasionally and at key moments throughout the history of the Bible. And two examples of that are the Old Testament prophets Elijah and Elisha, who have confusingly very similar names. But they did miracles that were really quite similar to what Jesus did and to what we see Peter doing here. But more than that, those Old Testament prophets and other Old Testament prophets point forward to the time of the Messiah, who would bring the new age of God's kingdom, and that that moment would be marked by a great outpouring of these kinds of miracles, with the lame walking and the blind seeing and even the dead raised to life. Which is exactly what happens everywhere that Jesus goes. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And Jesus himself says that these miracles are a sign that he is the one who fulfills those prophecies. That the kingdom of God has begun because he has come. And with Jesus comes the goodness of the kingdom of God. The blind seeing, the lame walking, the dead raised. In the books, the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, particularly Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, he gives us this beautiful picture of what the goodness of the kingdom of God looks like in the life of Jesus. But he does it through the character Aslan, the lion. Aslan is the Jesus character in the Narnia stories. And 
Aslan comes to the land of Narnia that is in the grip of a terrible permanent winter. Everything is frozen because it's under the power of the evil white witch. But when Aslan comes, everywhere he goes, the snow begins to melt and flowers begin to bloom. The beauty of spring is on its way because Aslan is here and it follows him wherever he goes. And it's like that with Jesus. Everywhere Jesus goes, the beauty of the kingdom of God just blooms around him. The lame walk, the blind see, even the dead are raised to life. But you know, Jesus himself even said that he didn't come to bring the kingdom of God just by healing one person at a time. No, he did it by dying and rising to life again. And by that message that he is the crucified and risen Messiah, by that message being preached to the whole world, beginning in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, so that people could join the king of that kingdom, Jesus the Messiah. And that's what the book of Acts is about. And so that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. He has empowered his apostles to bear witness to that message. But as I said, that, is, that empowering is firstly and primarily about enabling them to bear witness about Jesus, about his death and resurrection, and what that says about who he is, that he is the Messiah. But it also includes, at times, enabling the apostles to do similar kinds of miracles to what Jesus did, to add support to the message they were preaching. And so did you notice in our passage, that's exactly what happens. When Peter heals Aeneas in the name of Jesus, verse 35 tells us, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and returned and turned to the Lord. Or again in Joppa. When Peter raises Tabitha from the dead by the power of Jesus, verse 42 says, This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So it seems to me that there are really two things that we should know about the miracles that we see here in the book of Acts and in the Gospels, what, about what they're about. Firstly, they authenticate, they add support to the message that they go with, the message of Jesus. And that was particularly important at the beginning when the message was first being preached or when it was being preached in new areas. The miraculous power adds support to that message. <clears throat> but secondly, they, those miracles are an example of the goodness of what Jesus brings. They show us the nature of the new kingdom of God that comes with Jesus. That with him there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death at all. That's what we can expect and look forward to. That's what Jesus brings when he, return, when he returns. You know, just this last week, I was taking a funeral. And you know, funerals really are a stark reminder of death's grip on our world and on our lives, on every single one of us. You know, we will all die unless Jesus returns first. And at a funeral, we are confronted by that reality and by our inability to do anything about that this power over us, and we can't help but feel the wrongness of it. But at that funeral, we also read from Revelation 21 at the end of the Bible, which gives us a great, a beautiful vision of the future, 
when the kingdom of God, it says, will become the kingdom of this world. And it has those beautiful words of promise that in that moment, on that day, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Those will be a thing of the past. Sickness and death and the sorrow and sadness and loss that go with them will be no more. That's what we look forward to. And that's what Jesus will bring for all who trust and follow him. But we're not there yet. Right now, and since Jesus died and rose again, we are living in the beginning of that kingdom of God. That Jesus will bring fully one day. And so now we get glimpses of the goodness in the life of Jesus and in the ministry of his apostles. But he still rules. He still rules us with that same power and that same care. So what does that mean for you and me and particularly for our sickness? Well, firstly, it means that we can and should pray for Jesus to heal us. Just this week I've had numerous people ask me to pray for them in sickness or for one of their loved ones in their sickness, and I have. And I'm often asking others to pray those same things for me. And if you're on our prayer chain at church, then you'll often receive prayer requests that are about people's sickness and asking to pray for them. We can be confident that God hears that prayer and that he can heal in the name of Jesus. And sometimes he does. But as we pray those things, we also need to remember that we are not yet living in the final kingdom of God on earth that Jesus will bring one day. That beautiful vision that we look forward to is still to come. It's still a thing of the future. And that means that as we pray for healing, we don't assume that it must happen. Jesus can heal us, but he hasn't promised that he will in every situation. That promise will come, but not yet. We still live in a world where sickness and death do rule over our mortal bodies. That's why we pray, your kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. That's what we long for and what a glorious day that will be. But now, while we wait, sometimes we'll see people healed, but sometimes not. I was reminded of that reality a few years ago um, when two people that I know were both diagnosed with cancer. They were both Christians, they even knew each other, and they were, and they were given a very similar uh, and terrible prognosis. It was looking pretty bad for them. They were both told that they probably wouldn't see the next Christmas, and certainly that it was terminal. And people were praying like crazy for them. But for each of them, there was a very different outcome. For one of them, what the doctors said happened. She died very quickly, sadly. It was awful. But for the other, he had a miraculous recovery. And he's still alive today and with no evidence of disease. And the doctors are left scratching their head. That's a miraculous healing of Jesus. And those two examples illustrate the time that we live in. Jesus cares for us, he can heal, and we can and should pray that he will. But we should also recognise that we are still waiting for the final appearing of God's kingdom on earth, when sickness and death will be no more. You know, this really is, I think, a beautiful picture of Jesus 
caring for his church. But it is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story in Acts, and it's not the end of the story in our world either. So far in Acts, as I said, the message of Jesus has gone as far as Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, but it has not yet gone to the Gentiles and the non-Jewish world. And from next week, we're going to see how that part of the story happens. And that's the part of the story that we are still in. The message of Jesus being taken to the ends of the earth. And we are the great beneficiaries of that part of the story. And we are involved in that part of the story, taking that message to others. But for us now, of course, we long to see our sick healed. And so we pray for that. But we know that Jesus' care for us and his power to heal us is just the beginning of what will be complete and perfect and eternal when Jesus returns. And so more than anything, that's what we should pray for and long for. That's what we should look forward to. That's what we should speak about and urge others to join us in our trust in Jesus. And that's what we should remind the sick and dying about who trust Jesus. That one day we will live together in God's new creation where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Because then that old order of things that we know all too well now, of life with death, of life with sickness, we know that that will have passed away and given way to the perfect and eternal kingdom of God on earth. What a wonderful thing to know. Let's praise God for that and pray that he will help us to trust and look forward to that reality. Heavenly Father, we do ask that uh, in the midst of our sickness and in the midst of death around us, where we feel the wrongness of it and the tragedy of it and we long for something better, Father, please comfort us, please heal us, but please also help us to look forward to and long for the return of Jesus where sickness and death will be no more, where the wonderful power of your kingdom through the power of Jesus will be a reality in every corner of the world and in every part of our lives and forever. And we pray that you help us to live for this and to long for this and to trust it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.